Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you on a Tuesday. So when you talk about South Carolina's defense heading into the 2020 football season, most people, especially on the outside, and I think on the inside as well, they start with the two corners. Izzy McQuamu and J.C. Horn uh, are two of the better corners uh, in terms of pro potential and things like that in the SEC. Horn, in particular, is a guy that uh, you may not hear a lot about because he doesn't have any interceptions in his career but in 1,400-plus snaps, he's only been targeted 100 times, so that means he's doing something right on his side. Of course, he's the son of former NFL wide receiver Joe Horn, really a good player in terms of doing his job and locking down his side of the field. Doesn't mean he never gets beat, but he's a guy that certainly has the talent and size and skill that you come to expect uh, from some of the better defensive backs at South Carolina over the years, and they've had a lot. You know, from Stephon Gilmore uh, to guys like Rashad Fenton and Chris Lamonts that are in the league right now, Keyshawn Nixon's with the Raiders. Um, you know, and you go all the way back to Andre Goodman and Sheldon Brown at the start of the 2000s, which was a dynamic cornerback duo. Uh, Captain Munderland was a player during the Spurrier era that was very good on and on and on. South Carolina over the years has produced good defensive backs. Uh, you know, Antonio Allen, Co Simpson, you know, you name it. Uh, the last 20 years has been very good to this program in terms of defensive backs. And Horn is right up there with the rest of them in terms of a guy that's, that's a problem. Uh, I didn't mention, I didn't even mention Dante Robinson and Jonathan Joseph. So I had those guys in there too. Um, and, and so he doesn't probably get the hype that Mukwamu does, but, but he's probably more advanced as a player. Mukwamu is a six foot four and a half guy that's very rare at cornerback. Uh, and everybody in the country last year saw the Georgia game uh, where the Gamecocks upset third-ranked Georgia 20-17 to in two overtimes. Probably one of the biggest upsets in college football last year when you consider where the two teams ended their schedule. Um, when you consider that the game was in Athens. Mukwamu, three interceptions, including one in overtime and a pick six. Uh, really, you got to see his length and ball skills on display in that game. Uh, Jake Fromm, for some reason, was off in that game, and, and the whole country saw it. So you see is Mukwamu, they call him Izzy. You see Izzy moving up some draft boards, uh, probably higher than Horn at times, although they're both very, very good players. Um, and, and so South Carolina has two, two good places to start at corner uh, heading into the 2020 season. But what's going to make it go, because you can't play two guys all the time you know, <laughs> in games these days with spread offenses and tempo and all that. What's going to make it go are the guys behind them. Uh, Cameron Smith was a, a All-American, uh, ranked very high by 24-7 sports uh, as a high four-star prospect, almost a five-star. He's a local kid out of the Columbia area. It was really a good riser uh, his senior season. Uh, he ended up picking Carolina over Georgia Redshirted last year because he needed to add strength. He's up to 180, 185 pounds now, making plays in practice like everyone expected. Uh, and as a redshirt freshman, Cam Smith's going to be able to step in uh, and, and relieve these guys and play a lot in certain packages. They'll slide McQuamu over to safety 
uh, or slide, slide another guy up to nickel and Cam Smith will come in. Um, so really the staff is looking for big things uh, in his first year of really playing uh, from highly touted Cameron Smith over there at corner. It was a situation last year where he just didn't have the strength to come in and compete against some of the SEC wide receivers he'd face. And there are some big ones around the conference and, you know, guys where you need that strength because it's not just covering. Um, South Carolina gets attacked sometimes uh, or in previous years has gotten attacked on the perimeter because their corners simply weren't big enough or strong enough to tackle. Um, and that was kind of in the earlier Muschamp era, late Spurrier era. Um, so you want to avoid that if at all possible. Um, so you, you talk about adding strength, Cam Smith's that guy. Johnny Dixon was a high three-star talent out of the Tampa area. Gamecocks ended up beating Penn State on him during the recruiting process. Actually started against North Carolina last year in the season opener as a true freshman. Um, got beat sometimes, but also had some good moments. Um, as the season went on, he played more special teams, uh, but also actually got out there, did not redshirt, and ended up uh, – he's a sophomore this season. Uh, and he's a guy that could come in and, and spell a corner or two. So it, it's important for South Carolina not only, uh, I think, as a defense for, for the two guys, Horn and Mukwamu, to be at their absolute best. Because the bottom line is, you know, Horn – Actually, was solid start to finish last year. Mukwamu had his issues sometimes in coverage. Um, and I know he's getting the hype uh, for, you know, the forthcoming NFL draft in 2021 whenever we have it. But uh, that's because he's rare. Uh, he's a guy that I think makes, you know, NFL personnel directors salivate because of his height and his ball skills and his length. And then that can be problematic uh, when you're playing corner. And it's rare for a corner. Um, so I get it. But he needs to be way more consistent. Uh, you know, you kind of watch some games against some of the better receivers South Carolina played last year, uh, and, and, you know, it was a struggle. Now, not, not saying that you should never get beat as a corner, because that's not true, but, you know, it's a situation where he probably needs to be a little more consistent to reach his ultimate ceiling uh, here, and especially if, if he's thinking about going pro after this season. I think uh, to avoid being more than like a project – that the pros just really like and, hey, let's take a flyer on him and see if we can develop him at the NFL level. You know, you want to be a first-rounder, I think he's got to get way more consistent in his play. I understand him being on the draft boards right now because, as I said, a lot of people watch that Georgia game. You know, a lot of people probably did not watch the rest of South Carolina football last year. Um, not that he was bad, but uh, that Georgia game, he was, he was all-American type, you know, uh, and it looked that way. Uh, and I certainly understand that. But Horn, McQuamu, Cam Smith, John Dixon, the cornerbacks at South Carolina this year, I think, can really help set the tone uh, for the defense. Uh, I think it should be, on paper, uh, one of the better secondaries Will Muschamp and Travaris Robinson have coached. Um, you know, just because of the experience, these guys have all played a lot of football. Uh, you combine a safety that was a freshman, all SEC selection, and Jamie Robinson – Back at the back end, he's back. He's a future star. Um, at the other safety position, you have a veteran like R.J. Roderick. Uh, they moved linebacker Jamar Brown, who is more of a safety. He's out of St. Thomas Aquinas, showed great ball skills and uh, the ability uh, to come up and make a hit uh, in spot duty at Will Linebacker last year. So he's in the mix back at safety. Jalen Dickerson, uh, when he came in in the class of, of I believe, 2017, Will Muschamp said – he had the potential to be the best safety he's ever coached. He's had health issues. You know, he had a very bad uh, nerve damage type shoulder issue 
and then he recovers from that. And then they found some bone spurs on his hip. They had to remove last year. So he missed last season too. So Jalen Dickerson's a name, kind of a blast from the past uh, that you got to keep an eye on back there as well. Shiloh Sanders, Deion Sanders son uh, is going into his second season at South Carolina and has come a million miles at, at safety from what I've heard. Um, so keep an eye on all those guys and you combine that with the two guys at corner and, you know, South Carolina sort of setting up well in the secondary. Now they have to go do it. They have to go do it. So I think, you know, that that's the bottom line uh, is that when you look at it, you know, there are a lot of pieces, but you have to do it. And, uh, you know, as we've seen over the years, one weak link in the secondary can be disastrous. I mean, we, we've seen that. I mean, you know, you, in, in the league South Carolina competes in, you've got great skill talent. You've got great receivers. You've got good quarterbacks. You've got great offensive schemes. Uh, and so I think that when you, when you look at it from that standpoint, that's the key is that these guys have to take their potential to the field on Saturdays collectively as a unit. You know, it's not just on Horn. It's not just on McQuamu or Smith or Dixon or Robinson or whoever. You know, they've got to collectively take it to the field uh, and, you know, that, that's the key, I think, with a lot of things around the South Carolina football program this year is, yeah, it, it's great in practice individually. The pros love these guys. Um, lots of great evaluations in recruiting. But when you come right down to it, you know, what are they doing on Saturdays? It's, it's you know, I've said this before. It's not a, you know, NFL training facility <laughs> to where, you know, you sit there and work individually with players and get them ready for the NFL um, that, that's what college football is designed to do in a lot of ways, but it, it's a, it's an SEC football program and you're largely judged by what happens on Saturdays, player, you know, coach, whoever. Uh, and so that has to happen. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens this year. I, I think that, you know, a lot of fans out there, myself included, you know, it, it's, it's great. You know, the preseason talks great. Uh, looking at it on papers. Great. You know, looking at the numbers like that, that that stat about Horn not being targeted but 100 times out of 1,400 snaps is mind-boggling to me. Um, and, of course, we know that McQuamu is capable uh, in certain situations, and he's shown it and probably needs to be more consistent. So it's nice to look at all that. But I understand, you know, the bottom line is what's going to happen on Saturdays, you know, with the Gamecocks and, and you know, the, the play on the field because obviously that's what's important. So I um I get it. Totally get it. And uh get the skepticism and all that. And, and I'm with you. I, that's what I wanted to say. I'm with you guys that say, oh, you know, this is not uh, you know. Um but you still need to talk about it cuz it's, you know, like I said, we we've got a month and a day until the season kicks off or delayed a little bit. So we got to dig into all that, but that's my spiel on the secondary, you know, the defensive line being good, obviously is going to help that linebackers have to help. Um, you know, you can get pressure on a quarterback. You can make a secondary look really good. Likewise, if you've got lockdown coverage of the secondary and, and the quarterback doesn't have anywhere to go with the ball, you can make the defensive line look good. So I think it all works in unison. And I, I would be, you know, I, I think, it's better to have guys, dudes back there in the secondary than it is to not. So, um, you know, that that's that. South Carolina secondary, uh, one of the better units in the SECs. Nobody's talking about it. And, and that gets me to this. Nobody's talking about the Gamecocks, folks. Um, I listened to 
uh, the college football podcast, um, the CBS, forget the name of it. I think cover three is what it's called. And um, Barton Simmons, Danny Cannell, uh, Chip Patterson, Tom Fornelli, uh, all my CBS guys. Shout out to that podcast. It's actually really good. SEC East win totals last night. And it's like, you know, they, they sort of went through Missouri a little more than they went through South Carolina. And it's like, I just don't think, oh, there's the dog again. Great. Um, and uh, they, uh, you know, went through everybody and they got to South Carolina. It was like nobody, nobody knew what to say. You know, I, I just went through about 11 minutes on the secondary. Nobody talked about the secondary. <laughs> um, they did talk about the fact that the schedule is difficult. And I, and I agree. They did talk about the fact that it's hard to see more than three wins. And I agree. If you're just looking at the schedule, I agree. Uh, I would not bet money. And, and look, I last year, over-under was five and a half. And I think the year before it was two or maybe six. But I would have gone over last year. I would have lost my butt. Last, that's how shocking last year was. Um, and I, I know Bentley got hurt and all that, but uh, you, you still – you still don't lose like you did to some some of the teams you lost to. Okay, let's just put it that way. It wasn't, you know, Bentley and I, you know, you guys know I'm the biggest Jake Bentley fan out there. I think it was extremely unfair how he's been treated by members of the fan base uh, and others. Um, but, you know, if you're in your fourth year, you know, you, you got to kind of be prepared if your starting quarterback goes down because, you know what, it happens. It happened to Alabama last year. Tua went down. You know, and you got to be prepared uh, to salvage the season, and they weren't. You know, there was no. You know, I mean, I don't know, but that that that's fine um, as far as you know all that goes. But that's that that's the deal there with all that. Um, and, and so I wouldn't take the over three and a half either uh, if there was money involved. I just wouldn't do it. Um, not that I don't think the Gamecocks can win, not win more than that. I'm just saying when you look at the schedule, you're like, well, you know, and you're starting to think about matchups and stuff. You know, if everything happens, you know, according to plan and nobody, you know, you don't run into a team that maybe is disappointing or whatever, you know, it's going to be tough. And I'm not going to predict a record yet. I'm not ready to do it. Um, you know, it's hard for me to – pick anything less than five and five, because I think there's going to be, there's going to be real problems. Uh, if South Carolina has another losing season, uh, I just, I just don't think anybody wants that. And, and it's unfortunate because, you know, you're, you're going into a year and if you go four and six, well, you know, if you're in a regular season, uh, let's say the game has got four SEC wins and took care of business against coastal Wofford and ECU, that's seven wins. And you're probably going to Nashville Music City Bowl or out to Vegas for the Vegas Bowl, you know, in a normal year, which I think everybody would accept and be fine, especially if they show some progress and, and some of the things that happened a year ago didn't happen. Well, now four wins is a losing season. Hopefully they let four win teams into bowl games. Um, I think I would consider doing that because, you you, you know, if you're going to play the bowls, you, you're not going to have enough teams. Uh, to fill those spots with the big, big, big 10, Pac 12, Mountain West not playing. Um, so I would hope they would do that. And I think that, you know, there's going to be, 
if they play the Bulls, some slight twistings of arms uh, to make that happen because uh, of the uh, you know ESPN angle of it. ESPN owns a lot of the Bulls. Uh, those things get great ratings. People are like, why do they play all these Bulls? There's nobody in the stands, blah, 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 blah. They get great ratings. I mean, they get more better ratings than college basketball during that time of year for whatever reason. Um, so bowl games are important for the four-letter network, and obviously they need inventory and all that because of the pandemic. So, you know, we'll see what happens. And, and, and I think it would make it better if they got to, you know, if four wins got you to a bowl. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because, I, you know, philosophically, I'm a traditionalist. I'm not super fired up about six and six teams getting to bowls. Uh, don't like the five and seven going to a bowl deal, uh, the, you know, the, when they don't have enough room. I, I'm just – I'm not all that, like, fired up about it because I'm, I'm a traditional guy. And, you know, I think a bowl is still supposed to be an award. However, this is – there's nothing that's going to be normal about this season right down to the fact that, you know, you, you have, you know, a third of the teams, maybe more, uh, maybe over half when you when you kind of count everybody that's canceled out or whatever, uh, not playing. Um, and then you got all these bowl slots to fill. So I, I feel like there will be some bowls that do not get played. But I also feel like if the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 make it through the season and there are very few COVID issues and cancellations and things like that, which we're all hopeful for, um, I, I don't see why they wouldn't play bowl games, you know, maybe that's something from the travel aspect and, you know, players being someplace else for a while, you know, maybe that's something, maybe they don't do the, tra- I, I don't know, but it's, uh, it's one of those things where I, I do think that the powers that be at the TV networks would like to see it happen. I think they do hold a lot of sway. And if you make it through the season, what the, I mean, why the hell not? You know, I mean, it's a, it's a deal where you can go get another game in and um, make people happy, you know, because the more football you see, et cetera, et cetera. I know the playoffs continuing on. They announced yesterday that, oh, we're, we're keeping on, keeping on with, with our New Year's Six Bowls and uh, our semifinals and finals. Uh, they'll just announce the field on December 20th. Uh, I've heard a lot of crap out there. Oh, this is not fair. These kids are going to end the SEC championship game on the 19th. And then you're going to, you know, over Christmas, you're going to make them travel for a game on the 1st. Well, let me say something, Scooter. Uh, You know, most of these teams, okay, they don't – it's not like they take the two weeks off after the SEC championship game. Um, most of them have exams and then they get right back to the practice field and then they may break for Christmas for two or three days. And then they're right back to the bowl site if they're going to the playoff. All right. So, so, so let's not act like this is something strange. It's strange because the championship games are backed up two weeks, but it's not strange that, you know, they're having to do things in December. You know, the same thing with these people that are like, if you don't have students, I don't know how you can have football. Well, I mean, you know, you have football on campus over Christmas break. The football players are there working out over the summer when school is not in session, except for summer school, you know, uh, basketball, especially, you know, you, you play all Christmas, you know, you get to go home a little bit and you play all Christmas because it's a winter sport. Maybe have a week off. Well, these days you get a week off um, baseball, you know, South Carolina has won, what, two World Series, played for a third titles. You know, by the time those games were played in Omaha, 
the school year had been over for almost two months. No students. So come on, man. You know, let, let's not act like, you know, there, there's some, I mean, why? why? There's some magnetic reason why students have to be on campus. I, I don't I don't think they should be. I, I know South Carolina as a university uh, has a good plan in place. I was skeptical of it. I do still wish they would have gone Clemson's route and just said, hey, let's wait for a little while. Um, but I see, you know, I see the thing, well, if, if there's going to be a COVID problem, let's address it. Uh, but I still think I'd send them virtual, online. Uh, I just don't think you can avoid, you know, college kids rebelling against COVID precautions and you know, acting like they're 10 feet tall and don't care. And that's going to cause a problem. Uh, and I say college students, not not student athletes, because the vast majority is if, if a student athlete is going to be laissez-faire about it, you know, and do whatever, that's that's a different story. You know, University of Alabama, 560 COVID cases since classes resumed. Uh, to put this in perspective, because they always, you know, it's whatever number looks better in terms of to support the narrative with some of these people. If it's, you know, cases are up 133%, but it's like they went from 7 to 18, they're going to say 133%. Uh, 560 positive cases at the University of Alabama, I think that's oh. 0.1% per 2% of the student body population. Uh, they're going to put the 560 out there because that's a big number, right? Oh, hundreds of people. Ah, well. Um, but no, I mean, look, and I'll flip this to the other side. Um, here's what's not cool. I mean, you know, there's a reporter from a local station in Birmingham, you know, people at local TV stations, because I'm going to get to something in a second that's about local newspapers, but at local TV stations, they're not really ideological. You know, you don't have, you know, Sean Hannity or Rachel Maddow down there reporting. You know, these are people that a lot of times don't make a whole lot of money that are just out there trying to get their career off the, the snide and reporting live. Uh, so, you know, and, and I don't want to say the girl's name, but it's on Twitter. So she's down there and, and, Drunk college kids at Bama are yelling at her for getting, you know, classes, bars closed and, you know, to honor a fear monger and all this other stuff. And, and look, I think that's stupid, too. I mean, I think that, you know, it's been said over and over again, take precautions because you, you ultimately, you know, and look, I know that the virus doesn't really affect young people that much. You know, the virus is, is something that, you know, young people can get and have the sniffles and then they're over it. But the bottom line is you do have older people on campus uh, and you do have a football season to protect if you're Alabama. Now, if you don't care about football and, you know, you just want to go party and drink and you don't care if it gets, you know, canceled or whatever, you should probably leave school, in my opinion. Um, you know, I just, I, you know, because it does mean a lot to your classmates and a lot of other people beyond the university. And again, a university's job is to educate students, but the over the overarching mission of a university, especially a state-supported school like Bama or South Carolina, is to enrich and support the lives of the people that support it within the state. In other words, you know, tax money goes to fund these places. All of us in South Carolina goes to fund the University of South Carolina, Clemson, and you know, we can have this debate another time. All the other state-supported schools in South Carolina. Um, therefore, 
you know, yes, your job is to educate students. That's part of enriching the community to which you serve, but you're, you know, you're also doing things like, um, you know, public health studies and research and athletics and things that, that, you know, beyond the classroom setting for education are important. Um, and people are like, oh, oh, I don't know about that. Well, no, I mean, why do you think there are research professors? There are pe- professors at Bama, South Carolina, Florida, Nate Clemson, name your school, that rarely teach classes. They just do research all day. Believe me, when I was at Carolina, I had one. He was actually got roped into teaching a summer class. And let's just say I got an A. It's a philosophy class. Um, did not open the book. Um, actually sold the book a weekend. And uh, my final exam included the lyrics to Every Rose Has Its Thorn by Poison. And I got an A. So, <laughs> you know, those research guys, sure, great teachers, you know, I, so it, you know, but that, that the point is, is that a university's mission that goes well above and beyond undergraduate education uh, or graduate education or whatever. I mean, it, it, it's the purpose of a university is to make things better. That's their stated purpose. So, and look, education is part of that. Don't get me wrong, but you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So in person, the actual in-person instruction may not be able to happen. So anyway, beyond that, South Carolina is doing good. That worries me a little bit uh, because you see Bama, North Carolina and all that. You sort of feel like, eh, well, you know, people are going to kind of rest on their laurels because Carolina's not as bad. And then we're going to have a big, you know, the closer to the season, the worse that it is. All right. So let's talk about the state newspaper. Um, last night, yesterday, the editorial board, and, uh, just to let you know, this is not the sports department. Uh, this is not Matt. This is not Ben. This is not Dwayne. This is not any of those cats that work in sports. Um, I know a lot of those guys, they're hardworking guys. I think they work for a ridiculously terrible company, um, in terms of, you know, the overall newspaper model. I feel bad for them in a lot of ways. But they're good guys. They work hard. They're fair reporters. Um, I don't think we've always had that at the state. But I I do think that, you know, you look at the the body of work now, and they've done a good job. So I'll say that right off the top. Because I don't want to make, ah, those people are trash. They're not. They're good guys. Um, The sports reporters. Okay. And the sports editor, Dwayne McLemore, good guy. All right. So with that said, (laughs) the editorial board and what the editorial board is, is like, you know, it's part of a newspaper that they they write the un, you know, unbylined column every day. Uh, It used to be like on page two, if you got the printed paper by the back of the front section, the opinion section. Uh, And and what that does theoretically through history it's been, it used to be very important because it sort of uh, dictated uh, or, or, you know, promoted uh, narratives and, and it's supposed to be, supposed to be an enrichment of society. You know, Hey, we think this guy's dirty. That's the, the mayor of whatever. He stole a bunch of Girl Scout cookies. Let's punt him. Oh God. <coughs> I almost choked on myself there. Because uh, I was about to say something about thin mints. Oh yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. 
he stole the thin mints, then that's that's it. That's the longer prison term right there. Anyway, that that's the purpose of that was the purpose of all this. Editorial boards these days for newspapers have gotten ridiculously ideological. Um, they always sort of leaned, you know, to the left. And I don't mind that. I mean, I, I worked at a newspaper in Gainesville, Georgia, a bastion of conservatism. My editor was a guy named Mickey who was a die-in-the-wool Democrat. And at the time I was too. Um, young, young guys, you know. So, like I said, I'm kind of moderate, you know, I'm going back and forth. Um, and every day uh, in, in our editorial, it was just like, man. Everybody in Gainesville hated it. But one thing he always did was he was fair. And that's one thing I learned about journalism and newspapers when I was in that business up until like 04 is that, you know, no matter what you do, you need to be fair. And if you're not fair, you need to apologize. And you need to make a, you need to, you know, it doesn't matter where your beliefs are, if you agree or disagree, you need to be fair to people. You know, and and you need to make your arguments in a fair manner and don't take cheap shots, et cetera. And I try not to do that. And if you guys look at my work, you may not always agree with me at all. Uh, You may not like how I deal with people I don't agree with or that don't bring facts to the table. But I try to be fair in all of my arguments. You know, is this fair? So. (laughs) So here's what happened. Uh, You know, the state comes out with this stupid uh, editorial that, and I say stupid because it is, it is, uh, it is stupid. Um, Roger Brown, the opinion editor, who's not even from South Carolina. Uh, I don't know how possibly in the year, less than a year he's been at the state, he could possibly be in tune with anything. Um, you know, especially given how unique South Carolina is, I think the problem and the sports department's different now because they have made some hires for some guys that, you know, are are local and and get it. And that's why that's better. But over the years, they've always liked to hire people from far away. They've shot for the resume, which means nothing now. And I'll put it, I'll I'll just be honest. You know, they, they could have hired Remember I was talking about working at the Gainesville times. They could have hired me to cover South Carolina in 2002. Now I probably was not qualified at the time, but they could have, but they went with somebody else with a big resume and, Boy, their readers really loved him over the next couple of years, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say who it is because I like the guy, but uh, personally, uh, but but that's kind of been their mo. So they get this opinion editor from you know has roots in the state of Ohio and Florida and all that, you know. So he's the opinion editor, and I'm not saying he's not qualified simply because he's from somewhere else. I've looked at some of his other work. Uh, I think you know some of the stuff he does with the community is great. Um, and, 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 you know, it's not that this guy uh, and the editorial board of the state are, are completely asinine most of the time. But when you start digging into football, which is something that's ingrained in the culture in the state of South Carolina, uh, I think you need to be careful that you do not simply copy talking points from like the Big Ten uh, to make your point. And that's and that's what he did. It, there was just like many, you know, anytime you go through a column, because, all right, so here was the point of the column. The SEC and ACC should do the right thing like the Big Ten's doing and shut it down. Well, first and foremost, there's no mention of the Big 12 in there. there there's actually more conferences in the Power Five that are playing than not. 
But I get it. The ACC and SEC are Carolina Clemson, so you mentioned that. They need to do the right thing. Um, so then it goes through, and instead of citing data uh, or anything like that, it's just like many, most, most, the majority of medical people think that this is ridiculous. Really? Have you pulled them? No. The majority of, all right, so, you know, if you're just consuming media out there, maybe the majority of writers go and find medical personnel that, that want to kind of back up their opinion that they shouldn't play. But there's also a lot of doctors and medical people that say, yes, as long as protocols are followed, it's going to be perfectly safe. So, so where are their voices in this balanced column, in this fair column? Nowhere. Nowhere. So it's a flimsy argument, and this guy's been making it for a while, and I get it, you know, and it's his opinion, and I, I don't, you know, knock him for having this opinion. I think it's a paper tiger with the way he wrote it. Maybe he has some data we don't. Maybe he has some data the SEC doesn't. Maybe he should share it if he cares. But it, but it's just – it's super easy, I think, these days to just go out and copy, you know, whatever you're hearing on Twitter or – hearing from the other side or, or hearing from the talking heads or, you know, the, the, the anti-play college football media, you know, um, you know, there's, there's no mention of, you know, why that that would be the right thing. ACC, SEC, do the right thing. The moral thing. <laughs> um, and, and so we go down and look, and I, I want to say this, I don't know that Roger Brown wrote it. He's the opinions editor. They don't put bylines on their columns. So maybe somebody else wrote it. Anyway, it's his responsibility. So I'm going to pin it on him. Um, he's the editor. Just like on the Big Spur, if we wrote something that was not signed, you know, if it's TBS staff, then you better pin that on me, especially if it's not fair. That, all that, the, the Corona deal, play or not play, uh, it, it's a feckless opinion, in my opinion, because it told us nothing new. It didn't even, you know, it didn't even get the other side of the story or dig into why the SEC and ACC's medical staff, including people that have gone to Duke, Vandy, LSU, great medical schools, you know, are saying, yes, it's safe to play, but, you know, um, it didn't dig into that. The Big Ten is being completely untransparent. Okay, this is what ticks, pisses me off. The Big Ten has been the least transparent of any conference in the country. So without any transparency, how the hell do we know they're right? Why do we just jump on that bandwagon? Why? Maybe your politics lean toward shutting down. I don't know. As I said, I would hate for this to be politicized on either side because we're talking about health and safety. The virus is it's either safe to play or it's not. Okay? And fundamentally, none of us know the answers. But, you know, you're just going to jump on, you know, to me, if you're being fair, you know, in fairness, I'd probably jump on the side of the, the group that has more transparency. <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? I mean, the Big Ten is the least transparent conference in the country right now. You know, <laughs> I mean, President Bob Castlin on the record, and this got completely missed. It was in the state, so congratulations to whoever got that. Nobody said anything about it. He said the Big Ten study on myocarditis was based on a group of people that were 50 years old. That's what they used to shut down the football season. Brilliant, if that's true. 
Hopefully Bob Castle's got the right information. <laughs> so, all right. So, so, so we go that. So, so you're just going to jump. So, so that's what makes it a ridiculous argument to begin with. You're just assuming, assuming that the conference that's not, that's not been transparent at all made the right call. Yeah, the PAC 12 has been transparent, but if you go read their medical document, it is much more about testing issues, spikes of cases in the community, things like that. It, it was, it was for reasons other than, you know, it's not safe to go out there and tackle, you know, it, it was more about the community and testing and, and it made sense for the PAC 12. And I think that's why people are saying, Hey, the PAC 12, you know, people aren't revolting or whatever because they laid it out and made sense. So that's that's my problem with the argument that you just jump on the side of the Big Ten or whatever right there at SEC country and, and all that. That's not why I'm fired up, though, about this. And th- th- this pisses me off because Eric Kimry is a friend of mine and a coach, and I know a lot of coaches, and – I, I consider myself a very intelligent individual, and these guys are too beyond football. And I've talked to coaches on both sides of this, coaches that don't believe that they should be playing. Um, and, and they're intelligent people. These guys are not goons, you know, like uh, helmet heads. And this is what pissed me off, and I'm going to read it. We have a responsibility to steadfastly tune out the noise from those whose agendas and interests are served if college football is unwisely played this fall. Unwisely. Based on what? The least transparent conference in the country of shutting it down. There's wisdom in the lack of transparency, huh? Of course, the college football coaches will continue their shrill cries, oh, how poetic, of let our guys play ball. But too many of them have already shown that their worldview in general is so narrow and limited that it barely extends beyond who are we playing Saturday and where's my headset at? We should ignore them. Okay, so this is this is number one. It's a stereotype. It's bias. You're stereotyping every single football coach in the country based on political, you know, politics, basically. Um. You know, and, and I mentioned Eric Kimry because Eric Kimry retweeted this and he took exception from it. He called it ideological. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric Kimry at A-E-R-I-K-K-M-K-I-M-R-E-Y. And yes, that's the same Eric Kimry that threw the fade. Uh, football coach at Hammond. Great guy. Probably could be a published author uh, one day. Super intelligent guy. Okay. And he said this is ideological. Um, and there's links here, uh, probably to something Dabo said <laughs> um, that has to do with not a damn thing in terms of uh, the virus. Um, so what you're doing is you're sitting there saying, because well, I don't agree with these guys poli- politics wise, right? Um, you know, that, that uh, you know, they've shown ignorance uh, because I don't agree with them politically. Therefore, Ergo, because I don't agree with their politics or, you know, they said something in a press conference, I did not agree with it as absolutely nothing to do with the virus. Then, um, you know, I am going to uh, obviously say they're not qualified uh, to do anything in life, but put on a headset and uh, ask who they're going to play next. 
So, so, so that's completely insulting. It's stereotypical. It goes against everything anybody uh, ha- has, uh, you know, ever done uh, as far as, you know, equality in this country uh, in terms of treating everybody equal. Um, and, and people may get mad at me for saying that. Those nothing to do with it. Well, it has nothing to do with equality as we talk about it now politically. But I think bias is wrong. Stereotyping is wrong. And judging an entire group of people and saying that they're all one way is wrong. And it always has been. And it always will be. And so sitting there and saying coaches in general are not smart enough. Um, are they smart enough to make decisions in terms of the pandemic? Uh, you know, do, do we, do we want to leave that decision in the hands of coaches? Yeah, no. I, you, obviously, you don't put it in the hands of school presidents either. You listen to the, the medical personnel. And that's exactly what most 98% of them have done. You know, and to just act like they're a bunch of buffoons. Um, and that's insulting. I mean, look, again, I, I know some coaches, you know, most of them are very intelligent guys. I mean, Mike Leach, you don't think that guy's intelligent? You know, you, you don't, you don't think, I mean, you know, you, you talk about, well, you have people being tone deaf or whatever. Uh, do you think that maybe, um, you know, you know, it was Will Muschamp tone deaf when he led his team on a peaceful protest uh, after the George Floyd situation and walked right there with him. Was he tone deaf then? Was he tone deaf when he went and got Emmanuel Acho to come speak to his team? Uh, was was Nick Saban tone deaf when he got the Surgeon General of the United States to come in and talk to his players? Um, when he got Michael Jordan to come in and talk? I mean, you know, uh, where is the tone deafness? You know, I, I just uh, – it's just terrible. And so um, it, 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 it's one of those things that's just bad. Um, and so uh, I don't know. I'm kind of looking at it and I think now it's like, I think they actually edited it. I think they actually edited it and took out that thing about football coaches. My God. We should ignore them. Hmm. Well, if you're going to go kind of look at this, Kimry's got the screenshot. Um, if you want to see it on Twitter. I can't believe they edited it. That makes it almost worse. Because uh, I was going to look and see the links to the, the different coach comments. I'm sure they linked something Dabo said and maybe the Mike Gundy thing and all that. And, and so that's why that sucked. But, you know, the, the editorial in general still, I mean, you know, you go through it and, and it's still, it still is just pompous and, you know, all that good stuff. Several college programs have had numerous football players test positive. Numerous um, and again, so this is intellectually dishonest because it goes, you know, you, you've had numerous positive tests, but you got to go back to the summer when they first got back. Um, Vanderbilt um, halted practice because of a coronavirus. They had some guys test positive, but that's the only team in the SEC that's had to halt anything. Um, 
you know, only two major sports have been able to play games without being forced to cancel some. So, so, so this is the major league baseball argument that keeps coming up. And just to be honest, it, um, you know, major league baseball plays six and a half games a week. Um, and, uh, you know, that's tough. It's a little different than once a week in college football. So, yeah, they've had some Cardinals and Marlins, and I think the, the Mets and Yankees are on the chopping by now, but it, it's fine, you know. And, again, I, I'm I'm pro-bubble, you know. I'm not for that. Danny Ford had said they'll have an asterisk next to the accomplishment. It's not what Dabo says, Danny, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it's true. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things. Neither the SEC nor ACC has offered compelling evidence that football can be played in a consistently safe fashion. Not unless you consider Vegas. Well, all right. So, what about the the, uh, the quotes on the record from the SEC medical doctors? Uh, what about folks that said, "All right, we're going to now test three times a week, including right before the game." Um, that's compelling evidence. And what about the folks that said we're going to screen big time for the heart issue? Is that not compelling evidence? Where is the evidence on the other side for the Big Ten? Um, goes on. The medical community has largely scoffed at the dubious theory that college football players have lower odds of contracting COVID-19 than other college students. This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Now, what are you talking about? Like, are we talking like if we throw the players into the student body? Is that what we're talking about here? Because yes, it's dubious to think that football players are somehow immune to all this crap. Yeah, of course not. But that's why you bubble them up, you know, with them going mostly online with classes, with them having their own dorm area, their own place they eat, the practice facility and all that. Yes, they are going to be – they're going to have much lower odds. That is a fact. That is a fact. It's just like, you know, are you going to have lower odds of getting COVID if you kind of have your own area, whether they're being out in the general population of the country? Yes, that's common sense common sense and then a multitude of college players multitude who are still struggling to regain powerful testimony you know and uh so they they link this thing a multitude multitude of of players um of college players is what it says and uh so i clicked the article that they link as, as proof um and the first person in this article that they talk about is a high school player from St. Louis. Hmm. Oh, no, it's not. I'm sorry. It's Brady Feeney, the Indiana kid whose mom, you know, put things on, you know, Facebook. And then there's a kid from Arizona. And look, you have to understand that, some kids did get COVID and it was negative for them. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not pro COVID, but look, when you say the multitude of college player, a multitude, well, what's a multitude to me, that's a ton of guys. It's not, you know, and then it goes on and says, Oh, why not wait till January, 2021? What the hell is going to be different in January, 2021, except, you know, it's going to be cold. And, uh, and do you not care? You know, would college, it, it asks the question, would college football in the state lose any, any importance 
significance or economic value if it was played January 2021? No. The answer is no, it wouldn't. Fans are still going to show up and be happy, but what the hell is going to change between now and then? It's August, man. We're talking four months. What's changed between April and now? We've gotten more therapeutics and all that. Um, and are we even considering, you know, and I'm not saying I'm completely on board with this because if you, if you have to go to spring, you have to go to spring. It's got to make it work. But nobody's talking about, yeah, you're going to make football players go play a season and then turn around and play another season and all that. And there's health issues there too. Would there really be long-lasting transformational damage done to college football's place in South Carolina if we delayed it for four months and bought more breathing space? Well, like I said, I mean, you know, you, you talk about medical diet scientists. Most people think it, when the winter months get here, COVID is going to spike back up. So why wait? Because it's going to get worse. So anyway, um, there's still time for them to abandon an undertaking so poorly reasoned that it takes one's breath away. See, shit, stuff like that, excuse my language, it, it just, just totally ruins everything. I guess it was Roger Brown that wrote it. His name is at the end. So they took out the coach thing. Um, I guess they edited it. But like I said, at Eric Kimry, you can go find that. And, and here's exactly what it said, and then I'll get off this topic. We have a responsibility to steadfastly tune out the noise from those whose agendas and interests are served if college football is unwisely played this fall. Of course, the college football coaches will continue their shrill cries of let our guy play, guys play ball, but too many of them have already shown that their worldview in general is so narrow and limited that it barely extends beyond who are we playing this Saturday and where's my headset. We should ignore them. That is insulting. I know they edited it. Congratulations for taking it out, but it's insulting, stereotypical, and the rest of the column, quite frankly, sucks. And people wonder why the state newspaper is not viable. People wonder why good people at the state newspaper are losing their jobs. Um, people wonder why, you know, there's such a, a, a visceral, you know, if, from everybody from the state government and politics, both people that are in the majority and minority on that end of things. And I know some people that have worked in that department to South Carolina fans, uh, to people associated with the university at all. You know, I mean, th there was a wreck on a road in near the stadium one day. And I think somebody actually passed or was severely injured. And there was an article in the state newspaper that said, this is the fourth accident on this road that runs by the stadium. You know, almost like trying to connect the dots with the stadium. And that's quite frankly, where the state's offices used to be down there by the stadium. Not anymore. Um, and that should be telling. So, I don't like this at all. And I, I think that this is not, you know, first and foremost, if you're going to make, like I said, if you're going to make an argument not to play, you know, give me a good, give me, give me some compelling reasons. Don't just use words like multitude when there's really like six, a multitude. Um, don't insult and stereotype coaches, even though you deleted it. Um, and, and, you know, don't take us all for a bunch of fools. And that's the big problem with this. You know, you're just, uh, you know, and don't latch on to the least transparent conference in the country's decision. You know, I, I said on JB and Goldwater, which by the way, I'll be on Wednesday, JB and Goldwater, that, um, you know, the Big Ten, they're sort of the kings of fake news because of the oversigning thing they did a couple of years ago. Uh, and they are. And I think we're going to see that. So, and, and look, 
I say all this to say that they could be right. Who knows? We may be sitting here in a couple of months. There may be some new information as to like, oh, gosh, it was a really bad idea to play or whatever. And everybody will live with it. But, you know, the other sports that have started, and I know some are in bubbles, hadn't had to stop. They hadn't had to shoot down. They hadn't had to shut down Major League Baseball completely. They're still playing. So anyway, that just got on my nerves. I, I just, uh, you know, I, I I don't like to talk about the state because, you know, quite frankly, they're a competitor in, in the sports space with us, especially in the Gamecocks coverage. Um, like I said, this had nothing to do with any of those guys in their sports department. They didn't write this. This is a guy that, you know, is from Jacksonville, moved up from Jacksonville, you know, is from Cleveland, so probably got some ties to Ohio and the Big Ten. Um, that's the editorial page editor. Uh, quite frankly, you know, I've read some other stuff he's written. I don't have a problem with it. But as the as has as does happen sometimes when you have non-sports people talking about sports, it comes across as asinine, insulting, and terrible. And uh, quite frankly, I, I think that you know you want to insult coaches like that. Uh, I think there's probably about you know at least four or five coaches that I know. <laughs> They could write a better opinion piece than this in their sleep. All right. So want to thank all of you guys for tuning in today and going five stars. And, and I, you know, I, I want to also say that, you know, for, for my man that continues to leave the, uh, the reviews on, what is, on uh, iTunes that this is political or whatever, this is not political. Um, you know, I, that's that's a, a definite college football sports topic. Um, do we do have a mailbag inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. I will get to this um, these questions tomorrow. I have some, and uh, I want to say I appreciate you guys tuning in. Mitch, I, I'll get to you. Thank you, Mitchell, for sending this in, but I will answer that on tomorrow's show because I've run over time um, with my rant there. But wanted to say I was looking out for you. Bob, I got you too. Ted, you too. So the Inside the Gamecocks mailbag has been bumping lately, and I appreciate that. Let's get more questions in. I'll answer them, I promise. All right, so keep going to iTunes. Rate us five stars. Leave a review. Uh, We got the JC and Morgan podcast as well with myself and Mike Morgan. It's more of a college football deal, not just Gamecocks. Appreciate that. Subscribe to thebigspur.com. I think you can join for pennies on the dollar now and enjoy all the VIP information and converse with me and John Whittle and Tony Morrell and John Del Bianco and Hale McGranahan every single day of the week. We have a lot of fun, uh, but you don't get to do it if you're not VIP. So uh, go check that out. I encourage you to do that to follow the Gamecocks. All right, it's J.C. Sherbert. This has been the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Hope everyone has a wonderful, wonderful Tuesday. Holla at you soon.